Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Now, when John Pichea Ferry was 13 years old, his father gave him an unusual gift, the skeleton of a mouse. But rather than finding it weird, it sparked an interest in the skull beneath the skin. He pursued an interest in animal skeletons and eventually human bones. John now runs a company called John's Bones that buys and sells them. John, good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, so the, the, the human skeletons are human bones uh, uh, that you Uh, that you find, where have they come from? Well, it's really a quite interesting story. It used to be that from 1920 to 1980, it was mandatory for most medical students in Europe, the UK, and America to buy their own medical skeletons for training. And fast forward 100 years later, a lot of these doctors and anthropologists are passing away and their next of kin are actually inheriting the bones. So all of the skeletons that we purchase here at our business are actually retired medical specimens from these doctors. Mm. So some of them, or many of them, would be quite old. Yes. The the most modern piece that we have in our showroom is 40 years old. The rest are over um, around 80 to 100 and is it possible to to tell where they came from and under what circumstances? Because I think, you know, anyone knows a little bit about history. Uh, when there was a demand for these things, there were, you know, it, it encouraged a certain amount of grave robbing. Grave robbing, I should say. It really depends on the type of skull and the part of history you want to look at. There were multiple companies that spanned across the U.S., Europe and Asia. So we found that the geographical location of where these companies were located was primarily where the skulls were from. For instance, there was a company in New York City called Clay Adams that operated from the 40s to the 80s. And a lot of the skulls there are Caucasian. There's also a German company called Samso. And we see a lot of European skulls from there. So in order to look at the origin and the ethnicity of the skull, You would first have to work with a forensic anthropologist and there are basic features that could be identified by just looking at the characteristics of the skull. But really where they came from, it relies on what skull, what part of history and what area it was from. So there's actually a lot of factors. Mm. So it's probably hard to definitively discover what the circumstances were for acquiring a particular skull or a skeleton. Exactly. That's why our mission is to really focus on the fact that now that these skulls exist, we want to find a valuable and productive solution on what to do with all of the bones. Mm. And do a lot of them come from India? As I understand, there was a massive trade in this in India. Yes, primarily in the height in the 80s, um, the majority of medical skeletons began to be exported out of India. This is when we saw large incentives from universities in the Western world that we began to see injustices happen in the bone trade. Um, For any of the viewers at home, I just wanted to point out, this was a massive trade. According to Scott Carnegie's The Red Market, in 1983, over 60,000 skulls, human skulls, were shipped to the US and the UK alone in one year. And that was just one year. So people don't really realize the scale of how much was um, being imported and exported all over the world. And now we're left with all of these skulls and people don't know what to do with it. But with so much demand, 
we really see injustices happen. So we want to find a way to acknowledge it and find a productive solution. Yeah, and in India, as I understand that, that trade was eventually banned. Uh, so that kind of put a, a halt to it. As, as things are now, though, John, where do you source the, the, the body parts or full skeletons from? Is it just a matter of people contacting you? Exactly. Um, just last week, we actually had someone reach out. His father was a physician in 1950 and unfortunately just passed away. And this individual, his whole life, had saw his father's um, skull that he had seen his whole childhood. And finally, he felt as if he wanted to pass it on. He tried to donate it to a university. The university couldn't take it. And then he tried to go to a local museum. The museum wasn't equipped. So then he eventually found us. And and when somebody sells a piece to you, what do you do with it then? Our goal is preservation and documentation. We have an archive that we've developed where every single piece that we've ever gotten to the showroom is photographed, where we put these on the internet for free, where people can learn. Once they've been documented and curated on our database, we make them available for universities and working educators to purchase them. We want to really try to get these skulls back in the hands of educators and working professionals. And is is there a process by which, now I suppose in the example you gave there, obviously the father was a physician, so it was relatively easy to figure out uh, the provenance of that. Uh, but, you know, is there a process for checking to say, A, that it was used for medical purposes and it wasn't just some clever serial killer is dumping the evidence on you? Yes, we actually have very strict policies on purchasing. We do not work with any tribal remains or anything archaeological or anthropological. We only work strictly with medical skulls. So if it doesn't show the characteristics that a medical skull would have, may that be a calvarium cut or a, a cut on the top of the skull, hinge hardware, specific paints that are used to show the nerve and muscle connections, we immediately turn it down. So we look for very specific characteristics, and if they don't show themselves, we don't uh, do business with the individual. And generally speaking, John, is it just skulls? Is it parts of skeletons, entire skeletons? Oh, it's it's everything from the foot to the head and everything in between. Um, We have full skeletons at the showroom, loose vertebrae, ribs, um, feet, hands, as well as skulls. Um, It's everything. Yeah, and so when you get a full skeleton... Do you, do you sell that for parts, if you like, or, or would you only sell it as a full skeleton? We try not to break up pieces of history, so we keep everything intact. So if the skeleton comes, we keep it the way um, it is, as yeah. is. Yeah. At the same time, these were human beings. Exactly. Um, that must give you pause. And, and probably, even though, as you say, you can't tell where they came from, probably in many, many instances... These, these bones or skeletons were taken without their family's consent. It really just depends on what part of um, the history you're looking at. Because, for instance, we've done historical research with medical companies in the U.S. where there is proof of paperwork and there are proof of donations. Oh. Um, it really just depends on what specific history. That really leads to near the tail end of the history where there are a lot of injustices and then eventually it did get banned. But now we wanted to look at acknowledging the history and finding a solution. Regardless of 
what exists in the world now. These pieces are still here. So there needs to be a viable solution on how we deal with all of these bones. And as far as you can see, the, the, the possible supply isn't drying up anytime soon. No. Unfortunately, um, there are three major problems with these pieces. They, um, it's extremely challenging to donate them. Improper disposal of human remains is illegal, so they can't be destroyed or cremated. And we don't believe in destroying pieces of history. And finally, repatriation, which is the act of returning the skull to the closest family of origin, is virtually impossible because of how they've been cleaned since the skull is stripped of DNA evidence. Mm -hmm. So now you're stuck with a perpetual item that can't be destroyed, can't be returned, and can't be donated. What do you do with it? That's yeah. the solution that John's Bones is trying to find. And have, have the prices for these items gone up in your experience? Yes. Over the last um, seven years, we've seen a roughly a uh, 300% increase in skull prices. Wow. Is it strictly legal in the U.S.? Correct. In the U.S., there's no federal regulation against the ownership, sale, and possession of human osteology. There are only laws on a state-by-state -state basis. Okay, so are, is it limited to the extent that certain st states you probably wouldn't deal with or people in those states you wouldn't deal with? Correct. John, thanks very much for uh, speaking with us today. That was John Pesheya Ferry there, founder and owner of John's Bones. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.